0: Our country is more divided than ever before. everybody. It is good to see you guys. Uh, Welcome if you are here in the room or if you are joining us online. Really glad to have you guys here for the second week of our series, People Over Politics. People Over Politics. My name is David and I am the guy who decided it would be a good idea to talk about politics in church at the climax of basically what has been one of the Nastiest election seasons in American history, right? That's me. You're welcome. Uh, my goal here is actually not to make us all as comfortable, as uncomfortable as possible. Uh, really, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to aim for something better. What I hope happens when you guys leave these four weeks is um, actually your challenge that I'm provoking different and new thoughts in you that you have thought about your engagement with politics from a christian perspective and and really actually um you find it to be ref- refreshing and helpful and um and really see the bigness of of our god and the lord that we serve and the hope that we have in jesus and um and i actually laid out last week some some ground rules some guidelines that i think will help us accomplish that so i've got some commitments i'm trying to make to you during this this series to calm your fears and to help us aim for those things. Let me just revisit them. Firstly, people over politics is not partisan, right? I am not really interested in who you are going to vote for. And at no point in these messages do I think you're going to be able to guess who I am voting for. You might see me at the polls, but the best guess you're going to have is that I wrote in Jesus, okay? All right. Um, Here's the second thing. People over politics is not intended to be polarizing. Um, There is plenty of that happening in the world around us, in the nation around us. I'm going to challenge you. I said that already. I'm going to challenge the way that you think and approach things in this series. But my heart here is not to have anyone feel like I'm dividing us further or fracturing our church or further fracturing our society my, my, my goal here is actually just the opposite, especially today. Here's the last thing. The greatest um, thing that we're after is for, is for us to do better. And actually, I want to say, I think if you're a non-Christian or a Christian, you hear what we have to say, that actually you'll do better if you, if you act on these words and you think of these things. But I'm really also s- speaking here to the Christian community. I think instead of being a reflection of the world, what God calls us to do is offer an alternative to it. And, um, and, and y'all, uh, uh, I, I'm not interested in who you vote for. I'm interested in who you are as a disciple of Jesus. And when we get that right, I think we will be able to make a difference in the world around us. Amen. Does that sound good to anybody? Can I, can I get an amen in here? Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, did I deliver last week on that, on that commitment? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Good. Uh, today's message is titled, People first, politics, dot, dot, dot. We are going to explore uh, a passage in Philippians as a way to think about Christian political engagement. Um, and I'm gonna get there in a bit. I need to frame it up and set it up first. But actually, before we do any of that, and even before we pray, would you look at a person somewhere in the room or uh, across the room with you, if you're online, uh, and, and look at them and say the words, pumpkin spice, can you do that for me? Say, Pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice, right? There's something that'll get people arguing right there, right? All right, you'll understand why a little later. Let's go ahead and, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to I wanna thank you for this time. I want to thank you for every single heart and mind that's engaged with you right now through this worship service that's shown up um, to listen Shown up to learn, shown up to worship, to remember who you are in our lives, and shown up, Lord, maybe to hear something refreshing and challenging, but will make us better. And, Lord, I pray that you could do that through me. Um, Lord, uh, in all the ways that I fall short, would you fill up those places this morning? May the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, and may the thoughts in all our hearts also, Lord, be honoring and pleasing to you. You are a rock, Lord Jesus, you are a redeemer. It's to you who we come and we pray today, amen, amen. All right, uh, a few years back at the start of kind of the Christmas season, there was a really interesting headline that, um, that I saw, and I imagine some of you saw too, and really caught my attention as a Christian person And then honestly, it made me scratch my head. Evidently, what had happened is that Starbucks had put out a new Christmas-themed coffee cup to hold its delicious and complicated coffee in, right? And, um, And they do this every year. They put out a cup, but this year... Their cup didn't look like it had in other years. Not, not to the same extent. It didn't have any of like the Christmas kind of graphic images or themes. Uh, no graphic snowmen or snowflakes or sleighs or Santa, like innocuous happy holidays. None of that. All they got in 2015 was a plain red cup in three sizes, right? There it is right there. That's the Christmas uh, Starbucks cup for 2015. Now... Most people who drank coffee that year from Starbucks got their coffee in that cup and didn't think twice about it. They enjoyed their uh, mocha latte, caramel, whatever. I don't even, I'm not a coffee drinker at Starbucks, so, uh, but they were drinking it and they uh, didn't think twice about the color of the cup. They didn't notice that... it looked different than it had the year before. They certainly didn't look at this cup and see any underlying attempt at something greater. However, one man by the name of Joshua Feuerstein got his coffee in this, in this cup, in this red cup, and took it as an affront to his American identity and an affront to his Christian foundation. He saw this cup as part of the war on Christmas. He saw the fact that it was just red, plain red, as part of the war on Christmas, even though when you go back uh, and you do the research, never had anything Christian before. And uh, let me just actually show you the Starbucks cups and the evolution to 2015. 2015 was literally for Joshua Feuerstein, the last straw, pun intended, right? And, um, and so this man with a significant social media following actually put out a video, expressed his frustration Uh, rallied up his troops and this is when November 5th 2015 a headline about a Starbucks coffee cup blew up the internet just out of curiosity does anybody remember that happening yeah Uh, a lot of hands go up which is incredible that there was news about a Starbucks coffee cup That, 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 uh, that we still remember today. Why am I talking about all this? What does this have to do with people over politics? Well, here's the thing. I want to step back and identify kind of a worldview of a Christian subculture, a perspective of a Christian subculture that I want to call culture war Christianity. Culture war Christianity. Has anybody ever heard of that term before? Really? You Because I kind of made that up this morning. Uh, this is my term, but probably... You've identified it. You've seen something like this when you've observed some of the interaction of certain people, certain Christian people in the world today. And um, and uh, I, uh, I I want to say, even though this may not have a name, maybe maybe it is named by some people. I, I don't think that people who take this perspective are conscious of it, and um, and I don't think that they. Uh, they they recognize what's fully happening in it, but it definitely has influence and it's definitely present and it definitely shapes the way that the world sees Christians and, and Christians see the world. And let me let me kind of frame up some of the underlying assumptions in this worldview. This is the best I could come up with. In cultural war Christianity, there's kind of this understanding that there's a given culture, any given culture, in our case, American culture. And that's one sphere, that's one s- one sphere of influence. On the other side is the Christian subculture, there's Christianity. And, and, and what's happening is there's an interplay between these two kind of spheres over the influence and power in a culture. And, and actually in that interplay, what happens is Christianity goes to war. The culture is felt like it goes to war for those Christians. There's this understanding that the job of Christians in that kind of role is to take as much influence and power as it can in the cultural sphere and to not give up any influence and power that it has. And so it is doing battle. It takes uh, political things very seriously. It fights political issues. And, um, and it's, it's just uh, very present in our world today, now what? What do I think about culture war Christianity? Actually, um, you're probably curious. You probably have some idea, but let me turn it back at you for a second. What do you think about this kind of perspective of Christian of some Christian people? Maybe you haven't. What do you think about culture war Christianity? Is it good? Is it bad? Are the are the things that are positive in it? I think. I think. Uh, that this is more complicated than we have time to talk about this morning, okay? And um, I I think that I I do wanna acknowledge that there is some truth in some of the underlying assumptions in culture war Christianity. I do think it is good for Christian people to try to influence the culture and doing that through political processes is a valid and legitimate way. Um, I also think that, um, that there are times in which there is moral, and social issues that, that Christians really need to uh, need to be on the side of Christ and for the sake of people in the world. I think that that's absolutely true. However, what I observe when I look at cultural war, cultural war Christianity is is something that um, th- there, there's a couple places where it has some major failings. Let me just identify two. Number one, it seems to be fighting the wrong battles all the time, right? And I, I want to say that's what I think about a Starbucks cup. That is definitely, most definitely, the wrong battle to be fighting. Um, I, I, uh, I think that is not the battle that we see Jesus fighting when we look at Scripture, okay? Here's my biggest challenge with culture, war, Christianity. It's really the mentality that it creates. It's this idea that we are always, as Christian people, at war. That we are in a constant battle with the, the world around us and the culture around us. And it kind of leans towards this mentality where it's us versus them, where it's Christians against everybody else in the world. And, um, and I want to tell you, I think what happens when we get into this us versus them mentality is that um, we somehow miss the people in the middle of those politics who are the very people for whom Jesus came to die. And we lose our strength and our witness, and we lose our ability to, 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 to really witness effectively. And we've got to find a better way, a, a, an approach with a different mentality. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to offer you actually the beginning of some thoughts on an approach that I think is far more biblical and, and is based on the model of Jesus Christ, Okay. If you would with me, open your Bibles up to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. You can find it on your phone, however you want to follow along. I'd encourage you to, to read it and check what I'm saying today. Read the Bible for yourself, okay? I want to, uh, uh, before we are reading it, though, I want to ask you to do something. As we read these first two verses, I want you to think about the, what is, what is the reason that Paul is saying the things that he's saying here what's the motivation behind these statements i want you just to, to think about that okay all right let's go ahead and read here it is philippians 2 1-2 through 2. therefore therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with christ if any comfort from his love if any common sharing in the spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Uh, Many of you know I have four children. Count them, one, Jesse, Jeremiah, Jonathan, Jordan, four of them, it's a lot. Sometimes I wonder what we were thinking, but we love them dearly. And, And sometimes at the end of a long day, when I am really tired and the kids uh, are complaining um, they, when they're tired and frustrated and arguing and fighting with one another, um, I find that I don't have the energy to, to speak to them one at a time over and over again and try to mediate all their fights. Instead, what I find is that every once in a while I take a different approach to being their parent. Um, I gather them all up at one time right in front of me and I say something. And you know what? You know what I say? It sounds a lot like what Paul actually says right here in our scripture passage. I say this, children, if you have any love for your father, right? If you have any tenderness and compassion in your heart, would you make my joy complete and Stop it right now, or at least go to your room, okay? <laughs> Give me some peace, right? I hear people laughing because maybe you take this approach too. Let me tell you, I, I asked you to think about the motivation behind what Paul was saying. I actually think that's exactly it. That's why we sound like him. Church people in Philippi we're arguing with one another about some issue. I think that's the context for these words that we're, that we're reading. And we don't actually know exactly what was the dissension, what was the issue, what was the argument. Maybe there was an upcoming election for Caesar, right? No, that's not how they did it back then. Uh, maybe they were arguing about the color of the carpet in the church, right? No, they didn't have carpets back then. I have no idea what they were arguing about. But um, all together now, Paul is speaking to them in the context of this argument and, and saying, you know, can't we just figure this out? How are we going to rise above this? And I, I really want you to observe this morning how he actually elevates this conversation, how Paul approaches their conflict and helps them break out of it. Um, and I want to do that actually by doing a little drawing. Uh, I want to do some illustrating here this morning. Uh, let's kind of frame this up. So here we have... Um, a group of people, okay? And here we have, actually, you know what? Let's start here. Here we have an issue. We have an issue. There is something that these people in Philippi are upset about and they're arguing about, right? It's the issue. What is it? We don't know, but, but it's there, right? And on one side of the issue is one group of people who see it a certain way. They see it from this side. They see it from this perspective. Let's call these Christian people the red Christian people. That's the color of the carpet that they were, that they were in. Uh, okay, and on the other side of the issue, there's another group of people. Right? Let's call these people who see this issue from this side, from this perspective, right? The blue group of christians that's the color of the carpet that they want it's not about the carpet right it's not about the carpet but there they are and they see it from one side and they have this perspective and on the other side of it is these people that see it from the other side that have this other perspective and i, I just want to step back and say if you guys do you guys have you seen that before have you experienced a conflict like this is this something that you've observed right um Maybe right now in our country, right? Um, okay, so what happens over time uh, in, in, in a situation like this? I think there's two, there's two possibilities. There's probably a lot, but two main things that can happen. One, um, these people can talk. They can have a civil conversation. They might have to agree to disagree, but they're able to work this issue around and move on from it and, and things get better, right? Uh, That's probably the best case scenario. Where does this often go? Does it stay civil? No. This is a conversation, this happens on Twitter, right? And it gets nasty, right? And people uh, start to really get frustrated, not just over this issue, but every time they look at it, at these people who are on the other side of it, who seem to be opposed to them. And what's incredible to me, and I'm sure is incredible to you, is people who, are in the same church who uh, have a lot together, uh, similar, who are sometimes really good friends can actually find themselves at odds with each other where they start to feel like friends become enemies and where they um, start to doubt the motivations on the other side of this issue, where they um, start to say nasty, hurtful things and, um, and where there is just total and complete gridlock. And what's incredible is sometimes this issue can even drop away. It can be gone. And people are still left here in the same kind of position, right? Um, have you ever been there? Have you ever seen that happen? Um, I think actually, unfortunately, personally... Because we are broken people living in a broken world, most all of us have experienced this to some extent or another, right? It's really hard when we experience it personally. I wanna say I think it can be catastrophic when an entire nation is choosing sides and finding enemies on the other side of those issues. And if if I was to identify the state of American politics today, isn't that it? Isn't that kind of where we find ourselves? We don't even, there's so many issues or sometimes we don't even know what the issues are, right? And, um, and, and, and what's happened is it's, it's descended into war, right? Um, there are sides taken and this has turned into a game of winners and losers. Us versus them, Dondra versus Joe, ultimately me versus you. And, um, and I'm, I, I'm concerned because if this is where we're, we're at, you know, you know who wins in this game? Nobody, everybody loses. And and I think the thing we've got to, to do is say, how do we break out of this? Or at least how can we break ourselves out of it in the spheres of influence that we have? And how does, if you're a Christian person, how does Jesus call me to interact in a different way so that this doesn't happen, right? Well, this is where... Um, this is, is where I think Paul actually gives us some really interesting insights. I want to read again the first verse of Philippians. Philippians 2. for if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Any encouragement of being united with Christ. I underlined united with Christ because I want you to notice what he says there in that phrase, united with Christ. Um, if I'm approaching this argument, I'm trying to get two people to... To stop, right? I think the unity that I'm going to try to see, help them see, is that they're actually united to one another, right? They're part of the same country. They're part of the same church, right? Um, that's, that's important. But, but is that where Paul goes right here? No. Actually, he says, you are not with each other. He says with Christ. He'll say each other later. But in this moment, at this time, at the beginning of addressing this argument, he says, if you have any encouragement of your unity in Jesus Christ, okay? So why, why, do, why do you think he does that? What is his reasoning there? It doesn't answer it in the text. I'm going to have to give you my best guess. But um, he, here's why. I think when people get mad and upset and gridlocked, it, in my experience, it doesn't help too much to remind them of whatever commonality that they have. They don't care, right? When my sons are fighting say don't hit your brother quit quit hitting your brother does it matter that I say he's your brother no they don't care it's like I'm gonna hit him harder because he's my brother right like imagine like the comment section on um a social media post that is hot right people are arguing one side's arguing for Don and one side's arguing for Joe and it's bitter and nasty. Someone came in there and said to those two people, hey, I want to just remind you that you're fellow Americans right now. Do you, do you think that, that, that people are gonna care? They're, they're gonna say, That's, they're not real Americans, right? They're gonna question that unity that they have, right? And so, so um, what does Paul say here instead? He says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with christ i want to go back to the drawing here and i want to add jesus up above this thing happening (laughs) Uh, my son's name is jesse and it's not spelled that way but um jesus uh is up at the top here so paul's saying remember red people If you have any encouragement in being united with Christ, he's saying, remember, you're actually united to Jesus. You have convictions about Jesus. You've made a commitment to Jesus. You you, you have this unity with Christ. And I want to remind you of it right now. He's saying, look up here. Look up here to Jesus. I want to tell you, I think this is such an important thing, especially for Christians, because it does two really really important things here's here's the first right um when we look at jesus when we're looking at jesus we're no longer staring down the barrel of this conflict anymore you see that we've stopped looking here and now we're we've looked away and we up appear you know you know what that does it's immediate way to simply de-escalate a situation when you are in the heat of the moment of conflict right and it's firing you're mad and you're angry One of the best things that you can do is just step out of that moment for a minute and look somewhere else. You know, I do some counseling sometimes um, uh, for for people's marriages. Um, And I'm not the best counselor, but over many years, I think I've learned um, one tool that a lot of couples have found very helpful when they uh, are in an unhealthy cycle of disagreement, when they're struggling to communicate and they are, they are kind of gridlocking in anything that comes up that they can't get eye to eye on. And, um, and you know what it is? It's permission to take a timeout. I give couples permission to take a timeout. And what that means is in the middle of that moment where they're mad or, they're starting to get mad or, you can tell it's about to, to turn bad and not be a healthy argument anymore, or you're there, what you do is you just say, "time out." It's an agreed-upon thing between both people. It doesn't. Someone's not storming out here, not saying anything. Say, we agreed to take a timeout. Let's do that. I need a timeout. <clears throat> and they walk away. And then they revisit that at a later time, maybe 10 minutes later, maybe an hour later, maybe a day later. But they come back and they, they talk about it again. But you know, you know why that's so important? It's, it's because sometimes we actually are unable to function well in the heat of a moment especially when we've got all of these feelings and frustrations and ideas and history and, and, and unresolved things coming to the fore, boiling up to the top in the fiery furnace of what's happening. And, um, and actually, our bodies even have a physiological fight or flight response when we, when we get mad. And so when you say, time out, stop, I'm there, and you step away... You're, you're able to, to get out of that moment that's not really even about that moment anymore. And, and you're able to catch your breath and then you're able to come back to it and, and see it for what it is and have a much better conversation about it. And, and, and it's good. I offer it to you as a tool to, for you to use in your own relationships at times. I think we all do at, at times. Um, but I, I want to tell you, I think that's what Paul, it's the first thing that Paul does. He's de-escalating the situation. He says, don't look here anymore, look up here, okay? Here's the second thing that, um, that I think it accomplishes. <clears throat> when you are looking up here, when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, what you're able to do is to see people through the lens of Christ, through the lens of Jesus, instead of the lens of this conflict right? Do you see that? This is where you've been looking, right? But, but when you look up to Jesus, suddenly your perspective changes. You, you see other people in a, in a different way. You know, um, I saw a meme on Facebook this last week. I bet a number of you guys saw it too. It was so good. And um, this is, this is what it said. It's small. I'll read it for you. Kamala is beloved Donald is fearfully and wonderfully made. Mike is cherished. Joe is important enough that I died for him. signed, Christ Jesus. Okay? First names, because we definitely already know who those people are, right? And it's a simple reminder of who they are, not as we see them, not in the fiery furnace of American politics, but who they are, as Jesus looks at those people let me let me ask what happens in your heart when when you when you think about those people through that lens? it softens doesn 't it um, I, I think if you have negative feelings towards one or two of those people or maybe all four of those people right <laughs> and you uh, and you, and you think about them not through the lens of all your political frustrations and convictions, but you think about them through your conviction in Jesus Christ, suddenly they look different to you. And, and, and suddenly you're able to see things and think about things in a different way because you're seeing people as they truly are, as beloved children of God, those whom Jesus was sent to save. Right? I think one of the choices that we need to make is to see people in that way. Choose to see people with whom you disagree through the grace of Christ instead of the grit of your conflict. See them through grace instead of the grit of conflict, okay? All right, I, I want to make one more observation here and re-engage the text. But um, <clears throat> let's go back to our drawing board one of the things that I think is happening, and, and we talked about this, is that cultural war Christianity tends to fight the wrong battles, right? It, it tends to, 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 to miss what really matters. And, and I think there's a reason for that. And I, and I want to I show you why. Um, it, when there is an issue, right? When there is some issue that we're upset about, <clears throat> however important it is, however critical we think it is, however deep our conviction, and we might be right about that issue. I just want to point out, when we're looking at that issue, where, where, right on. Where are people? Where are the other people when we see that issue? Here. Always here. Always behind the issue. Never in front of it never even in the midst of it, we always see the issue first and we see the people second. And you know what? I think that's the wrong battle. I want to tell you, I don't think we can separate issues from people. I don't think that we can, um, we can, if we're going to follow the way of Christ, I don't think that we can look at, at, at people behind issues. I think we have to put people first or at the dead center of our politics. I think we have to see people. And I know there's complexity to that. I know um, a lot of times when we have a stated political opinion, we, we believe that people are part of that political calculus. But um, what I, what I want to point out is if we were really seeing people, putting people's best interest before our own politics, would our country be in the state that it's in right now? I don't I, I just don't think we'd be where we're at and um, and I think it's because we've lost sight of, of people and and I, I want to say when Christians see politics before people I think we're missing it I think we're fighting the wrong battle I think what happens is people end up as Collateral damage in the culture wars and I I, I don't think that's what our intent is But I think that's what happened and I think what we've got to do What we've got to fight for is recognize that our battles are not over the issues that are before us in cultures Our battles are for the hearts and minds of people to know the greater hope that we have in jesus christ Okay, that's the, that's the battle that we're fighting. And so, and so it reframes the way that we address the world and think about things around us. I don't look across the, the political aisle from myself and see someone that I need to defeat or win an argument against. I instead see a dear soul of God. I don't look across an issue and see somebody who I think just doesn't get it, just can't understand. I see... In them, a reflection of myself as a broken and lost person who desperately needs a savior. Okay? Um, I think that we are not an invading, conquering army, but a mission uh, of rescue sent to save the lost and the broken. And um, and we have been called by our Lord Jesus to go and make disciples of Christ, right? And that's the battle we need to be fighting. And if we need to lose the battles of this war to win the battles of eternity uh, of this world, we need to lose those battles. I think that actually we're called to consider that, to maybe lose the the battles of of this world. And actually I think that's what Jesus says to us, gives us as an example. Would you look at me, look with me at the last verses of this passage. Um, Paul is saying, he said, be humble in verses three and four, put others ahead of yourself, value them ahead of their, yourself, put people's interests ahead of yourself. And then, and then he says this, this is how I want you to think about your engagement with one another when there's something like this happening. He says this, and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God, something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing Right, what is what is he saying? Jesus was willing to lose so that we could win. Jesus chose not to fight the battles of this war to pick up the sword as Peter did in the Garden of Gethsemane to stand before Pilate and, and call down the fire from heaven which he could have done but he said, I'm willing to die, to lose, to be obedient, to humble myself to the point of the cross, to lose all the battles that the world thinks that we need to win so that so that all win the battle for eternity all win the battle for hearts and minds of people with Jesus Jesus won by losing right he denied himself the power that he had for the sake of us who were under the power of death right he valued us ahead of his own well-being and and um and y'all that's the battle that i think we're supposed to fight have in your relationships with one another have this same mindset as Christ Jesus when we start to, to see that we're in a different battle, we start to look like Jesus. When we give ourselves away, instead of fighting for the, the little bit that we have, we look like Jesus. When we fight in the way that the world fights, when we, when we choose to say, I'm going to get into this cultural war conflict, we look like the world, right? But when we fight like Jesus, guess what? We we win, we win a much bigger war. Where are you guys at the end of all this today? Um, I just want you to think about your own actions and behaviors and engagement, right? Are there are there people in your life, <clears throat> one side of this or the other, that you've looked at them through this issue and now they look like enemies, right? Can I encourage you to try to look up to Jesus and come around and see them through the lens of Christ? Um, is there places where you've won, um, relate where you've won an argument, where you've been in a conversation and thought about the holes in somebody else's argument, and you've argued over some political issue, but you lost the relationship that you had? Right? Is that is that the right battle to be fighting? I, I wanna, I just, I just want to encourage you. Let's put the good and the well-being of people in front of our politics, for the well-being of people and for the sake of the world amen let's pray lord jesus i want to thank you for today i want to thank you that you did something entirely different than what we see in the world and what our hearts and minds are tending to do and want to do as we look at the world i pray that we would not get caught up in the battles and the wars of this world but lord we would remember that the battle that matters is is the one that you you went into for us, and that you've won, and that we just get to be a part of. And, and Lord, I, I pray that we would have the mind for the good of people before our political convictions. That we would not see issues without seeing the hearts and the minds that are affected by them. And Lord, I, I just pray, um, as the Holy Spirit brings this home for each and every one of us, that we, we would have the courage um, to admit to wherever we've been trapped, and to ask you to help us do better and, and, to, and to lose so that others could win and so that others could be win won for you. And these things we pray in your name, Jesus.